Hey, hey, and welcome to The Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. Today's guest is Sandy Pricer. I found a description of Sandy in the Chattanooga Times Free Press that I thought was worth sharing as we introduce her to you today. And it goes like this. Sandy Pricer is a helper. Armed with a bachelor's and master's in social work, she worked as a caseworker for Chattanooga's Partnership for Families, Children, and Adults before starting her own nonprofit in September of 2020. Mirroring one of her roles with the partnership, she offers life skills classes for children ages 13 to 23 through her 501c3 Rise Up Cooperative. While her focus is on kids in foster care, an audience she has experience with both through the partnership and her own family, she welcomes all who are interested. You're going to hear all about these classes today and all the great work that she's doing in Chattanooga to help kids and to equip kids uh, with skills. So Sandy has quite a story and we are going to dive into it today. I hope that you're ready. Before we jump into Sandy's story, I want to take one quick minute to mention Tower Community Bank. Tower brings you today's podcast and every episode of The Impact Code absolutely free of charge. And Tower does this because our mission is to make our communities better places to live, work, and raise a family. And we feel that this show, The Impact Code, is a great way to do this because we're out and we're speaking with members of the community. We're finding good work that's being done in the community, people who are making a positive difference in the community, and we're sharing their stories. And we feel like what a better way to live out our mission than by sharing other people who are knowingly or unknowingly living out our mission in the world. So Tower brings this show to you completely free of charge. Tower pays for all the equipment, for the hosting, for the marketing, for all of the software to edit this podcast because we care about the mission of this podcast. In my opinion, Tower is one of the coolest community banks out there. I wouldn't be here working at Tower if I didn't think that. We're working really hard to revolutionize what it means to be a community bank and the impact that a community bank can have not just in the community banking space, but in the world at large. We're taking over y'all. So if you love this podcast or you enjoy or get something out of this podcast, a great way that you can ensure that we can continue doing it is by going over to www.towercommunitybank.com and checking us out. And now without further ado, my conversation with Sandy Pricer. Sandy, hello, and welcome to The Impact Code. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited that you're here today. You were introduced to me through Lori Heller, uh, who actually, I believe, serves on your board as well. And she had so many great things to say about Rise Up and about you. And so I'm very excited for us to be able to sit down and, and chat today. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you and for the opportunity to share. Thank you so much. Of course. So Sandy, I think a great place for us to start today uh, would just be talking about this organization of which you're the founder and CEO, Rise Up. And I'd love to hear how did this organization come about? Yeah. So my background and all of my, I guess, adult career um, has been in foster care. And my husband and I adopted 
three of our six children from foster care even. And when we, knowing in your mind that there's differences or there's needs or that there's lacking in people's lives, knowing in your mind is one thing, but seeing it in your life and in your children then is completely different. So when we had three biological and three adopted and we realized how much they needed, we knew that we had to do something more for other kids as well, because it is obviously not just our situation. It is a actually nationwide situation where there are needs for these young people that are going to be our tomorrow. There are future leaders, our future lawyers, our future doctors, you know, all the things. So we knew we couldn't parent more kids. I mean, having six, our hands are full, but um, we could yeah. teach other kids. So we decided that life and leadership workshops would be a great way to pour into the next generation by giving these some of these tools that they might not be getting at home or maybe they are, but we can help kind of um, emphasize them or add to them. So we go into other organizations and provide those life and leadership workshops to help that next generation. Very cool. I think that's something that's really meaningful as well. And I know for me growing up, there were certain things that I just didn't have as much access to just by nature of where I grew up um, and how I grew up, things like maybe financial literacy. And I had to learn some of those lessons the hard way. So I imagine um, the work that you're doing and being able to help in some of these areas can really fill in gaps for kids that may not have equal access to some of that information just based on sort of where and how they're growing up. I agree. And we find a lot of times, too, that a youth can be in a very um, a typical home, very from the outside, it looks like a very stable home. Even my own kids, there are things that I've maybe forgotten to teach them or didn't think about because when you know something yourself, you don't always think to teach it to somebody else because you know it and it's you take it for granted, so to speak. Um, so that's why we yeah. really want to reach out to all youth because you never know what somebody doesn't know. Yeah. I think that's a great way to look at it. So with you and your husband, who is also, as I understand it, a part of your organization co-founded and um, also helps, it looks like uh, from a director role. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So when you all were looking at your familial situation, um, when you decided to adopt, did you already have three kids? We did. Um, our oldest was nine and our youngest was five at the time. Wow. So that, yeah, that's a full house. And one of the things that I'd love to hear more about is how did you know that that was the right decision for you? Because you've three kids, you know, could be, your hands are very full. I'll tell you, I have two and I know personally with two, my hands are very full. So how did you know that that was the next right decision for you? It's really kind of interesting because my husband and I um, had never talked about adopting before we had kids. And then we had our biological children. And when we had our third, our youngest biological child, People always ask when you have kids, are you going to have more? And our answers without ever mm -hmm. talking to each other about it was we're going to adopt one day. But we hadn't talked about it. So it was like, oh, wow, that seems like that's what we're going to do next. So with my background in social services yeah. and working with foster care, 
honestly, that wasn't the route we were planning to go because I knew firsthand um, the trauma and the experiences that so many of those kids have been through. And having three kids in our home already, we were kind of worried about what what might we might bring into our home to expose them to, so to speak. So that wasn't the direction we were initially going to go, but we kind of looked into the other avenues. Uh, It's super expensive to adopt. We looked at international, we looked Mm -hmm. at domestic, we looked at private, we looked at all the routes, Um, but we kept being drawn back to foster care, even though we didn't think that was the route. We, We, just felt drawn to it. So we decided to go ahead and become foster parents um, with the goal to adopt. And within, I don't know, I think it was a month or two, we were paired with what are now our three additional children and actually found out after we said we would accept them, we found out they were distantly related to me even too. So it was definitely, we were being led that way and it was meant to be. That's really incredible. Yeah. Sometimes those moments where things come together in that way are, it's just really beautiful how things can, can come together in a way that we don't necessarily see them coming together. I agree. So Sandy, as you're bringing in three kids into the home, the environment I'm imagining is changing quite a bit and there's a lot of new variables how did your family and your parenting style change and evolve? Oh, wow. That's a big question. Um, we definitely changed a lot of what we were doing because having more children, regardless of where they came from or how they entered your home or family, it, it definitely changes how you can parent. Um, because at the time that we adopted, mm-hmm. we then had a nine seven, seven, six, five, and two-year-old. So we had to um, kind of rethink our um, discipline structure. Like we, how do we discipline? How do we, um, what do we take away or do? So a lot of that changed initially just for mere survival and to keep sane. But then as we grew in our parenting we realized there was a lot we didn't know about trauma and about how it affects the brain and development and mm. behaviors, just the entire body. Um, so we've taken a lot of time over the last, it was nine years ago that our adoption was final. So over the last nine years, we've done a lot of um, trauma-informed learning, a lot of um, brain learning. We've been in and out of a lot of counseling with and for our children, all six of them, but primarily the three adopted. So having that um, trauma-informed mentality and parenting style that we had to incorporate that we didn't know about was the biggest change and and maybe even challenge in some instances because you're so set in how you're doing things. It was really hard to, to pivot in that way. Mm. That makes sense. So when does rise up come into the picture and was it initially, you know, we're going to start a nonprofit or was it an idea that evolved over time? 
it was definitely an idea that evolved over time because we knew we wanted to do something, but we didn't know what that would be at first. So during COVID, um, I homeschooled different combinations of my children over the last 10 years. And several of them were in high school. They were virtual learning and I was only schooling two of them. And I felt like I had a lot of time on my hands all of a sudden. <laughs> I didn't, but I felt that way. <laughs> and I, I realized that that might be a great time to go ahead and just jump into what I had always wanted to do. And that was to start a nonprofit. Um, there are lots of areas that I wanted to work in and help people like teen pregnancy and um, mentorship and just foster care, all the things. So I had all these big grand ideas and um, a mentor to me at the time highly encouraged me to pick something. I, if, if he said, if I were to do something tomorrow, what would you do? What could you do tomorrow? I was like, mm. I used to teach life and leadership workshops for a organization that I used to work at. And years after I had stopped teaching them, one of the girls saw me when we were out and about and asked me if I recognized her and reminded me of how I knew her and told me that I had changed her life with those skills, life skills that I had taught her wow. in that group. So I was like, you know what? That story I'm going to hang on to and I'm going to help it push me forward to help even more kids in that way. So that's really where the idea of doing the life and leadership workshops came from to do our nonprofit. That is really cool. And how old are, are the kids at this time? So uh, I'm curious kind of where this fell into all the other events that we've already covered. Yeah. So today they are 18, 17, 17, nope, 16, 15, 14, 11. It's something like that. They keep having birthdays yeah. and messing me yeah. up, but... Yeah, that's so, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so September of 2020, <laughs> so just a little over two years ago is when we started it. I really find this a fascinating detail because I, I, I see a lot of parents who are maybe the primary caregiver who have ideas or dreams who sometimes feel like they may not be able to, or they may not have the bandwidth or they may not um, have the capabilities, but it sounds like you just dove into it. Can you talk about sort of where the, the confidence to know that that was the right time in your life came from? I think, I think it was the fact of knowing that if I didn't do it, it was kind of like when my husband and I decided to adopt we kept saying for years, because I mentioned that after our youngest was born, we said we were going to adopt one day. Well, it wasn't until he was five that we finally did it. But we kept talking about it. <laughs> I said to my husband, we're not getting any younger. So we probably need to do this if we're actually going to do it. So it was kind of along the same mindset is I'm not getting any younger. My kids are older. I mean, mm -hmm. they still need me, but not as much as when they were little. So I felt it was a great time to jump in because if I didn't jump in with both feet, I might not ever do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can certainly relate to that as well. There's like sometimes the fear of anticipation like can grow and grow and grow and you can almost talk yourself out of something over time. Absolutely. <laughs> So as you're getting started in September, 2020, what were some of the obstacles that you found along the way that you maybe didn't foresee when you were like, I'm going to start this thing? 
Oh, so, so many. Um, I worked for a nonprofit before, but I had never been in leadership or, or any mm-hmm. kind of running of a nonprofit. So I had to learn all of that, all of the legal things behind it, all of the things that actually make a nonprofit a nonprofit. I had to learn about boards and, and what a board was and how to get one. Um <laughs> making the connections and networking, the establishing ourselves within the community. Um, There were so many, and there still are, just obviously not as many as the first day, but there were so many challenges, so many hurdles, so many things I had to learn. But I didn't let any of them Mm -hmm. stop me. I I used it as kind of a a stepping stone to get to the next challenge, so to speak. Um, I also decided that I wanted to go go back to school, like not even a, maybe six months after I started Rise Up. So I got my master's in social work wow. during this learning process too, which was was really awesome because I took a couple nonprofit classes while I was getting my master's. So that really helped me learn about the nonprofit that I was I was starting up. Um, in addition to brushing up on my social work. Um, education because it had been so long, um, maybe 20 years since I'd gotten my bachelor's. So it it all around helped. um, But now I'm full in to rise up schools behind me. And we are just spreading awareness in the community as much as we can to help as many people as we can. I love that. Can you talk a little more specifically about what rise up does. So we talked a little bit about sort of the, the leadership and um, sort of life skills. Um, mm-hmm. is, is that the main thing that rise up is doing? And can you talk a little more about what that looks like tactically? So our listeners can have a, a good idea of what it is that you are doing in the community. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the life and leadership workshops and we take, um, experts in different fields, subject matter experts is what I like to call them. And they're just volunteers Mm -hmm. um, within the community that want to pour into the youth. And it can be on financial literacy, job readiness, mental health, um, conflict resolution, healthy eating, healthy relationships, communication, just literally all the things. In addition to those are more soft skills, but the hands-on things too, like cooking and laundry and you name it, we can or will do it is what I like to say. Um, But we go into organizations and schools locally. Um, Some of the ones that we've worked with um, are Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Girls Inc. And I know that those are kind of national names. So I say those because people will recognize them no matter where they live. Um, But we go into Mm -hmm. with our volunteers into these organizations that have reached out to us and want to collaborate or partner in some way. And we schedule a time for whatever topic their youth need at that time. We target 13 to 23 year olds. Um, and people have asked me why that age bracket, because it's kind of an odd number, but with the um, learning about the brain and 13 being the onset usually around of puberty, the foundation of the brain and the connections that one makes when they're zero to two are vitally important. Well, so many people come from a background where that foundation was not laid very well. So during puberty, your brain starts to make a few more new connections. So if we can catch the kids during that time and help make some more healthy connections, 
lessons, then that's why we started at 13. And we go to 23 because that independent living stage, that 18 to whenever, um, they don't know. Again, like I said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. And they think they know it all and they get out on their own, whether it be living on their own, getting a job, going to college, uh, starting whatever their next chapter is, and they don't know that they need help. So then we are able to help them on that end Mm -hmm. as well. But we don't stop there because we also know that the parents, the teachers, the staff, the volunteers of some of these organizations that are working with these kids too, they also need the support and help. So we also go into these same organizations and schools Mm. and we'll do these trainings for their staff and their teachers and their volunteers and their parents as well. Very cool. And do you have an idea from uh, just sort of last year, um, the overall impact that you all were able to have in, in the areas that you're serving? Yeah. So I know number wise, how many youth attended approximately our workshops and how many adults. And we served over 2000 youth last year. And I don't have it in front of me, but it was something like 200 workshops we completed last year. Um, Adults volunteer wise that attended workshops were about 50. It's a smaller number, Um, but we have over Mm -hmm. a a hundred, I think it's a hundred volunteers. Um, and, and we have that large of a number of volunteers because if they just want to do one workshop every six months or one time or in this season of their life, but next season's going to be too busy, then we are happy to take whomever wants to pour into the next generation. Yeah, that's great. And I want to circle back uh, here in just a little bit to talk more about volunteer opportunities for people who may be listening who want to help. Um, So we'll circle back to that. But one thing I'm curious about while we're on this subject is sort of seeing those numbers at the end of 2022 and the impact that you were able to make um, only a couple years in. I'm wondering, how are you feeling seeing those numbers? It feels really good to be able to know that we have planted seeds. And I know so many people ask us for an impact story, kind of like the one I shared from my past with the Mm -hmm. girl from the group home. But we don't have a story like that right this second per se, um, because we are so new. But we're planting those seeds. And years down the road, there might be another girl that comes up to me or my volunteer that poured into her and says something very similar. So that's kind of what keeps us going or keeps me going because I'm the only one that's running the organization right now until we get a little bigger and we can hire some staff. But um, it definitely feels really good to know that we are making an impact, um, if not just for our next generation, but for our today's community. Yeah. I know that sometimes we want to be the people to see the, the result, but sometimes we're the people to plant the seed. And, um, I know that that's really important work too. Someone has to do it. And so it's, it's wonderful to see, you know, last year over 2000 youth being able to receive some type of education from y'all. That's very, very cool. So Sandy, as you are building this organization, you are doing a lot of the heavy lifting right now Mm -hmm. at this point. And so, how are you managing that stress of building a growing organization? You're still a parent, you know, as well. How are you handling all of these stressors in your life and making sure that you still have energy to continue to move forward? 
I, le- I learned to ask for help. So before I, I guess I was, I wouldn't say too proud to ask for help, but you know, everyone says, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and figure it out. And you know, all those things that you hear people say. And I think even with COVID, a shift in mindset around mental health and, and asking for help and, and you're not alone and it takes a village that really came out stronger than it ever had before, I feel. And so it was great timing for me because then I didn't feel as <sighs> awkward's not the right word, but I didn't, I'm going to use it because I can't think of another one. Um, I didn't feel as awkward asking for help saying, I want to do this, but I can't do it alone. So asking, and that's one where one place where my board has come in greatly too. they're a working board. So they've been instrumental in let's pick up this part of this slack for Sandy or let's help in this area. And several of them are volunteers as far as teaching the workshops as well. So that's been huge. Um, My husband has helped a lot, a lot as well, where I was the primary person taking to school, picking up after school activities for my kids on a personal level. um, He's been able to step in and help take them to school and help pick them up and get to soccer practice and all the mom and dad things more than he's ever been able to before. So that's been huge. Yeah. That does make a really big difference. It really does. Sandy, how, if someone is someone who struggles with asking for help, what advice would you give them? Not, not one, not to get to the point where you can't ask anymore. Like they have to help you because there's no choice. You're at a breaking point. Like don't let yourself get to that point Mm. because I have, and it's not fun. Like not as bad as I know that it could have been, but because my husband saw it and he's like, let's help. Let me help. What can I do? Let's pick up some slack. But, um, Mm. knowing that you're not alone, like keeping that in mind because so many times we have a village, we have support and people don't know how to, they say, Hey, let me know if you need any help. So many people actually mean it, but they don't know how to help you. So actually giving them steps, like Mm -hmm. I need help with X, Y, and Z. And they, so many people have those people in their lives that will do X, Y, or Z, but they have to be asked. So making sure that we put our own Mm -hmm. misconceptions or our own pride behind us and let others help us. Someone once told me um, in our church, we do meals for each other when they have babies or surgery or whatever. Right. And I am Mm -hmm. bad about accepting those meals, but also remembering to bring a meal when I sign up for it. But one of my friends told me once, um, because I feel bad about taking the meals when I don't give the meals because I have too much going on. She said, that's a way that some people want to be able to be a blessing to you. And that might be the only way they can be a blessing in someone's life. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. you can bring me a meal. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. I especially admire the advice that you gave about not letting yourself get to the breaking point, because I do think that there are many people out there who let themselves get to that exact point before they're ready to ask for help. And there are so many 
maybe not warning signs, but there's these caution flags along the way of like, maybe this is a point where I'm feeling overwhelmed and you have to have a lot of self-awareness to be able to see those things. I think that one is becoming self-aware enough to know when you're headed towards a breaking point, you have to have that step one. And then step two is the willingness and the courage sometimes to be vulnerable and to ask for help. And I think what you mentioned there at the end is a really important point in that sometimes the asking and the vulnerability allows you to connect with someone in a way that is more meaningful to them and more meaningful to you than anything that you ever could have done on your own would be. Absolutely. So that's really, really great advice. And I hope that listeners can actually put that to use. Sandy, how have you how have you been focused on growth this year? What are some of the things that you're personally sort of dialing in on this year? On a personal level versus a growing rise up or both? I would say both. Yeah, I'm curious about both. Okay. Um I like to think of myself as a lifelong learner. Um I'm have two apps on my phone that I can listen to audiobooks. So since I am a busy mom, I'm in the car a lot. So I listen to audible books and I'm growing my mind. I'm growing myself. Um, you mentioned vulnerability. There's um, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability a lot. And just knowing that mm-hmm. you can learn so much from resources that are out there yet then taking advantage of them. That is one thing that I really strive to do on a regular basis and be an example to my kids with two, just the constant learning, the constant taking care of yourself. Um, I don't always do a good job, but I try not to work on things after work and I'm there for them. Um, of course, different seasons or different parts of the year make it's harder to do that, but for the most part, I try to share them, show them and share with them the importance of it so that they, when they become adults, can maybe think back again, planting those seeds. So maybe they can think back and go, hey, mom did this and this. And there's a really good reason I've learned that she did that, that she didn't bring work home as much as she could mm-hmm. and that she did listen to these books and take the time for her own self-growth. Um we go, my husband and I go on date nights regularly. We take the kids one-on-one on date nights regularly um, just to continue those those bonds and those relationships. And so that's really important for us as well. And I really feel like all of that pours into Rise Up because I'm, I'm filling my own um, tank, so to speak, so that I'm not running on empty when I'm trying to run Rise Up. I feel like you hit a couple things there that I'd love to to circle into in a little more detail. The the first being um, the date nights. And uh, can you talk a little bit more about when you started doing the date nights and and how those have impacted your relationships with both the kids and and with your husband? Yeah. So we didn't start them soon enough. We probably started them out of necessity, kind of like that breaking point we were talking about. It got to the point where we knew if we didn't do something that everybody was in jeopardy, right? So we knew we needed to take that time. And it started off just me feeling that need 
that I needed to get out. And I would text my husband, date night tonight. And then it got into where we schedule it and we set aside a day every month where it could just be us getting some fast food and sitting in the car to actually doing something fun together mm-hmm. it, as long as we're just getting out. Um, and then after, shortly yeah. after we adopted our three additional children, our bonus kids, um, we kind of incorporated mom and daughter and son and daddy dates where we would take them to ice cream or mm-hmm. um, breakfast or something. And it kind of morphed into we both needed that time with them. And so we take them to dinner Um probably two kids a month by themselves. So it's not like an every month, all six of them. So it's not that overwhelming, but we Mm -hmm. get that time with Mm -hmm. them. They can talk to us more on a personal level. They can talk to us without being interrupted by a sibling or fear of what a sibling will think or say with whatever they need to talk to us about. And then sometimes it's just them sitting there and just enjoying that time by themselves with us. Yeah. We started doing those uh, probably a couple years ago now in both for ourselves and for our kids. And it really has made a, such a positive difference in our relationship and our relationship with the kids. And it does, it, it's become something that we all sort of look forward to now. Um, and, you know, the kids will even ask, is this my, you know, this is my date night with you know, mommy, is this my date night with daddy? Um, and it's fun because we can have those things to look forward to. And I think sometimes just having something on a personal level to look forward to can get you through some of those difficult times or those difficult periods when things maybe aren't going as well as they could be at work, or you're just seeing mountains of work that don't seem to be, um, reducing at all, no matter how hard you're working. Like those things are the things that really keep me charged and moving forward too. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. So as you are growing Rise Up, has has sort of the way that you're approaching the workshops changed? Has any of the way that you see yourselves impacting the community in the future, is that evolving or is the strategy um, pretty set and it's, it's really, you know, where you want it to be at this point? It definitely has and is evolving for sure. When we first started, since we started in COVID, all of our workshops were virtual because, you know, the world was shut down for most of the part. Mm. And so Mm. weekly we would offer these workshops. We had anywhere from two to 15 kids that would jump on weekly for our different topics. And we were able and we did record almost all of them. And they're in a YouTube Um, channel of ours so that anybody can go back and review them, look back at them, watch them, learn from them whenever they want. Um, But then when I call it the, when the world opens, opened back up, um, we joined Mm -hmm. forces, so to speak with the family justice center, and we became community partners with them. And today we're an onsite community partner with the family justice center. And with that comes um, other community partners that we link with, that we help each other with, but we also, everybody was wanting to be back in person on a whole new level after COVID. And so, so many different people 
were wanting to partner more, wanting to collaborate more, wanting to work as a team and be a village more than I had ever seen before. So that really opened doors for us to organizations that um, as my background being in social services, I had maybe heard about or, or knew about, but I had never had the opportunity to really learn about them or work with them. So it's been really awesome to join hands with so many different organizations and impact the community together. Um, As we continue to evolve, we still offer a workshop once a month for the community like we did when we were only online. And we do it at the Family Justice Center once a month. We open it up to anybody in the community that wants to come, but it's also hybrid. So if they can't be here for some reason, they can still join online. But I never thought that we would go into as many organizations and schools as we've done. Like I thought it would be more of a, we're doing our own thing and people come to us, but it turned the other way where we're doing less of our own workshops and we're doing more for others. We're filling in the gaps in programs they already have or bringing in topics that their students or clients desperately need at the moment. And that has been really um, amazing and impactful. Um, I, I don't think just for the people that are gaining that information, but the people that are getting to volunteer to do it and myself connecting the volunteer with that organization that needs it. It's really a, a huge blessing, I think, all the way around for everybody. Yeah, I I imagine that being true. I think it's a very unique opportunity to be able to volunteer and give back in an area of expertise that you've developed. I think a lot of people want to give back and they want to, they want a channel to be able to do that, to take the expertise that they've learned in their career and then be able to sort of push that information back and help people in reciprocity. But it's hard. It is difficult sometimes to find the right channel to do that. And so can we talk a little bit about the volunteer opportunities that you have at Rise Up and what types of volunteers are you looking for now? What what types of work are you looking for them to do? I'd love to hear all the details on that. Yeah. Um, so we're always looking for more volunteers to add to our list that lead the workshops because if you are a volunteer with us and I reach out to you because a school says, hey, I need a financial literacy workshop on this date and time, one volunteer might not be available, right? So I can go down my list of financial literacy experts and find somebody that is available to fill that slot for them. So we're able to fill more gaps and more needs easier and quicker. There are very few times, if any, that I can even think of off the top of my head that I've had to say no to a workshop because we have so many amazing volunteers that want to, like we were talking about, pour into the community. But we also have... because public speaking or getting up in front of people and teaching something isn't everyone's cup of tea. And we realize that. So Mm -hmm. you might be interested in writing. We have a blog that we're always looking for people to write for. And that could be any topic as far as they watch one of our videos that we have on our YouTube and they write a recap. They talk about being a parent. They talk about something going on in their life right then. We're open to a lot of different topics within our blog, but we also have a fundraising committee because any good nonprofit needs to fundraise in order to keep their doors open, right? So we Mm -hmm. have a fundraising committee. So if helping plan events and fundraisers are their thing, then we definitely have that opportunity as well. 
We, I mentioned earlier that I do this by myself. So there's a lot of admin stuff on the back end um, that I can't, I struggle with. So I know that there are some people that are super organized and maybe they have a little bit more time on their hands because maybe they work part time and they're parenting and they're at home and they can do some stuff virtually. So always looking or welcoming volunteers that want to do stuff like that. Um, grant writing, um, let's see, monthly donors. So just supporting, maybe you don't have any time, but you want to support us and you want to become a monthly donor or contributor. So we have so many different ways and those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there are more, but... (laughs) Yeah, that's a good list though. And I think that gives people a great starting point. We'll link to your website. Is there a specific place on your website for volunteers to register? There isn't. I believe there was, and we might've taken it down, but there is contact information on our website and that all goes directly to me. So I respond to all the emails that we get. So if they reached out that way, I can respond. Perfect. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. We'll just put the email right in the show notes and people can reach out directly that way if they want to get involved. And Sandy, I know you have an event coming up. It'll be a couple days after we release this episode. So if you happen to catch this episode in the first day or two that it's released, which would be 27th, 28th, I know that there is an event in Chattanooga or somewhere near Chattanooga. Can you share a little bit about that event as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's a Gold Rush Western themed trivia night. And we are going to be holding that on April 29th at 6 p.m. at the Finley Stadium Clubhouse. So the Finley Stadium downtown off of Reggie White Boulevard. And it's going to have seven rounds of fast-paced trivia, some mini games in between, dinner, which is a taco bar from Elmasan, silent auction, lots of prizes to win, and a $1,000 cash price at the end for the winning table. So the, the people play trivia in sets of six, and that winning six group will mm-hmm. win. Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. It sounds like a fun time. So if you happen to catch this episode in the first couple of days and you're near Chattanooga, I think this would be a really fun night to be a part of and you have a chance to win some money. So that's cool. <laughs> and a lot I of prizes. It. So Sandy and a lot of prizes. Yeah. You can't, you can't beat that. So <laughs> can you talk about, um, and we have a little bit, but what, what specifically is, is next for you and your role and, and how you're sort of thinking about this next year um, for Rise Up? We did a strategic plan last year, so I'm trying really hard to stay on that and and grow us from that strategic plan. Within that strategic plan was just continuing to grow our awareness and events like our trivia night and and doing stuff like this is one of the ways that we are trying to share what we're doing and get our name out there to be able to impact more. Um, We also are constantly looking for... (laughs) I shouldn't say it that way. We're not constantly looking for new projects. New projects constantly fall in our lap. So we're actually partnering with um, nine other organizations and we're starting a teen advisory board. Um, So that will be kind of a 
huge joint effort that will be, I think, very impactful for the community. Um, so just continuing to find places that rise up can benefit other people so that we can continue to fill in those gaps and and those those come because I feel like if we're you're open and you're you're ready and you're willing to do what's needed, what's needed will always show up. And so that's kind of what has continued to happen for us. Mm, I love that. I want to circle back briefly to this to this idea of your story, how you founded this organization. Sandy, do you have advice for people who have an idea for a nonprofit, which I think a lot of people that I know do have an idea that maybe they haven't put any action into? Um, What words of advice would you have for someone who has an idea to sort of determine whether it's something that they should move forward or not with? I think first and foremost, um, researching, see if there are other ideas of someone that's already doing that. And maybe you can help be an instrumental piece in that instead. Um, and then if there isn't anybody doing that idea that, that they have for a nonprofit, um, finding a mentor, someone that maybe has ran a nonprofit, has started a nonprofit, has been a nonprofit um, in the social services field that has that knowledge and experience. That's one thing that I've done within our short term journey so far is find all of the groups that I can be part of. And there are a lot in Chattanooga specifically, um, all the groups that I can be at a table at. Maybe I don't feel like, you know, you've heard of imposter syndrome. Maybe I don't feel like I belong there, but I'm taking in like a sponge everything that other people are sharing about their experiences and listening. So I think that's huge. Getting at tables um, that can help you learn and grow. And that could be before or after you start a nonprofit. Um, But finding that mentor, someone that can help you guide in the right direction. Cause if you're somebody that wants to start a nonprofit, you're probably somebody that has a huge heart and wants to help the world. Right. So you're going to go and see mm-hmm. all the needs and there's so many and we can't, we can't help them all. We can't fill them all. So making sure that you stay consistent with the one need that you know you can fill. Like I mentioned, my mentor in the beginning told me to pick the one thing I could do tomorrow. I highly encourage that the one thing mm-hmm. you could do tomorrow what would it be? And that can help steer you in the right direction. I think that's phenomenal advice. Why is uh, making sure that it doesn't already exist important as a first step? Because you don't want to recreate the wheel. Um, If somebody is already doing it, but maybe you don't think they're doing it maybe not adequately isn't the right word, but they could use the support. You being a support to them is more beneficial than trying to recreate the wheel and do something next to them. That's the same thing. So definitely more hands um, you hear. I'm sure you've heard the saying more hands make light work. Well, more hands also help Mm -hmm. more people. So if you're joining forces, you definitely can be a bigger impact than by yourself. I love that. And how would you reach out? So if someone does this and they find, oh, someone's already doing this, um, how would you personally reach out to them and and sort of try to join forces? Um, probably look at my network first. 
check out social media, see if we have any people and comment on it. Use that as a door and an opening spot. And if I didn't have anybody in common with that person on social media, just find their email address and reach out and say, hey, I have this passion too. What can we do together? There's so many times that I've sent emails to organizations that are... They, do, they don't do what we do, but they also offer life skills because so many of them do. And I'll send an email or, or call and say, hey, I'm doing this thing and I would love to support you and collaborate in some way. How can I help you? Mm, I love that. You also mentioned imposter syndrome, which I want mm-hmm. to talk about in a bit more depth as well, because I, I think it is something that's really common. And Funnily enough, I was talking, uh, this is several episodes back, but with one of my leadership coaches that I've worked with over the years. And I, I said, how do I get rid of this imposter syndrome? And he said, you don't. He's like, it keeps you grounded. He's like, as you're becoming more successful, you're taking on new challenges. He's like, that's the gravity that helps you remember who you are and where you came from. And that helps you keep from ego getting in the way of your decision making. And I thought that was a great way to look at it. And it was just a different way than I had heard anyone speak about imposter syndrome before. But Sandy, as you're sitting at tables where maybe you feel like people may have more qualifications or, or maybe they have some set of skills that you don't, what internally are you saying to yourself feel like usually I take so many times people say to me, um, I love what you're doing. You're doing a great job. You're impacting this and that and you're helping here. And while historically I've had a hard time accepting compliments, I know it's important to accept compliments. So that's something I've worked on for myself too. And so when that imposter syndrome kind of creeps in, I remind myself of the things that people have said, that I do belong there, Mm. that I have done the work, that I do have the qualifications, that even though I started the organization, it doesn't make me any less type things, things that Mm -hmm. my bad part of my brain, so to speak, is is trying to to knock me down. Mm -hmm. I bring back with the opposite positive and make sure that I... um, I'm balanced with that. And and I love what you said about your leadership mentor and how it does. It keeps you humble because I think that if it if it wasn't there, we would think that we were doing great. I mean, we are, but I, we would think too much of ourselves and it, you wouldn't accomplish yeah. what you want to accomplish and help people the way you need and want to if you let your ego get too big and if you're not humble, and that's one reason um, I feel anyway, it's probably my personality too. I'm constantly putting things back on other people and they say, you've done a great job. I'm like, I couldn't Mm -hmm. do without you. So constantly putting it back on other people is something that I think kind of draws the people to helping also because they feel needed and they feel like a part of something and they're appreciated. It's kind of off on a tangent at the end. Sorry. No, I think that's a great point. And I think that is a great leadership lesson for people as well. I think people like to volunteer. They like to work with, they like to work for people who are able to see and recognize the work that they're doing and find Mm -hmm. a way to meaningfully sort of 
give that feedback to them because anyone can say, Hey, thanks for being here. You did a good job. But when you can sort of articulate that in a way that is more meaningful, like the way that you just gave the example, I think it it draws people in and it helps them remember why they're doing what they're doing, which is easy to lose sight of a lot of times. Definitely. Sandy, what are you most proud of accomplishing specifically with Rise Up over the past couple of years? I think the partnerships that we've made, um, just that mere number of youth that attended our workshops last year, the 2000 plus that I mentioned, just being able to start something, be consistent and um, accountable with it where, and I don't know the exact stat or number, but I know that somewhere in the first two years, businesses and nonprofits that are started, that's when they fail. They flop, they don't make it or whatever. And the mm-hmm. fact that we are... Yep. Getting up to two and a half, not quite, almost three years, that's, I think, a huge accomplishment. Now, there have been many times that I'm like, what am I doing? What have I gotten myself into? (laughs) Where did this come from? But the fact that I have let myself open up and be vulnerable and have that support system and people around me to cheer me on keeps me going. So... Yeah, I can see the passion as you're talking about it. And it's very inspiring. As as a leader of an organization, how I'm trying to think of how to, to ask this question, but I think the heart of what I'm trying to get at is as we grow, the people around us are able to grow as well. And so what are the specific areas that you're sort of trying to grow as a leader that are allowing the people around you, the volunteers specifically, to sort of take on new and increasing challenges as well? I mentioned audiobooks. And so I'm, I'm constantly learning or learning, <laughs> listening to leadership books, self-help, self-growth books, um, books that are about trauma and trauma-informed because we all have had trauma. And yes, some of them might be on a grander scale than others, but even the new research that has come out over the last, I I think maybe decade of epigenetics and and how our ancestors' um, trauma comes down and affects us today, mm-hmm. just all of that and, yeah. and being mindful of how we all learn differently, different. My favorite thing to remind myself of is perspective. Everyone has a different perspective of what is said or done or what something means and constantly reminding myself that mm. my way is not the right way and being flexible. Um, so all of those I feel then being an example to others around me of those things help the volunteers, the board, my kids um, to, to learn and grow with me. Yeah. 
I think you're spot on with all of those things too. Thank you for sharing those. So Sandy, one of the questions that I always ask is for someone who is sort of just starting out on their journey, which is specifically who you work with a lot. So I'm excited to hear your take on this, on this question. They're not sure really how they want to have an impact on the world, but they know that they want to have an impact on the world. What advice would you give them on getting started? Mm. Probably finding their why. Why do they want to do something? What's driving them? What is their their reason behind it? Because if you don't have a why and you don't have something that's going to push you forward to do that thing on a day in, day out basis, then it, it is going to fizzle and it isn't going to get you far and you're not going to do very much. But if you have that strong why, and you can visualize it and you can crystallize it and keep it in front of you on a daily basis. That is what is important, I think, is that why. And I, I venture to say that that might be the most important thing. Yeah, I think so too. That's a great answer to that question. And for someone that maybe isn't sure how to kind of go about that finding finding their why or maybe that seems a little ambiguous um you know where would you tell them to start with like things maybe to look for in their life on how to find their why it's a great question and i thought of it while i was talking and i'm not sure that i have a good answer for it however i will share how i found mine and it could be helpful because it's definitely not yeah. the only way to yeah. find it but a way, right? So um, looking back at my life and realizing that every single thing I've done up until this point prepared me for different pieces. So when I did this thing, it led me into this and it gave me the knowledge and experience to do this. And then it just kept growing and building on itself. And while I had no idea that that's what was happening, it is what, and so that then gave me the why because I knew that was my path. I knew that it was building on itself for a reason. And I've gained this knowledge and experience for a reason. Um, and then those that have a family or have kids, that automatically so many times is a why. And that was obviously, I talked about adopting yeah. and our six children. That was the biggest why for us because we saw it in our homes. Um, and that was just one piece of what, the stepping stones I was talking about that led me to where I am. So that was just one piece of it. So being able to yeah. put like their pictures in my office and being reminded that that's my why. Um, but if you don't have kids, maybe it's a family member or maybe it's a good friend. Maybe a lot of times I know people start foundations or nonprofits because of something that someone close to them has experienced. And that's what makes them passionate about it yeah. and holding on to that and not letting it yeah. go. Yeah, I think that's brilliant advice. One of my favorite speakers is a guy named Brendan Burchard, and um, he does a lot of self-help, professional development type stuff. And one of the things that I heard him say was he's like, a lot of times in life, we wait for the piano of purpose to fall and kind of just hit us in the head. And it's like, oh, 
now I have my purpose. And I think a lot of times it doesn't work that way. We find our purpose while we're in motion, while we're trying new things, while we're volunteering at new places, while we're experiencing what's happening to us in life. And so I, I think the wisdom in your message is that you found your purpose along the way while you were doing the things that you were doing. And so I think it's just getting in motion sometimes is the biggest thing. It's like just getting out and trying things, volunteer at new places, meet new people, and you'll find that thing that lights you up and you'll feel it because it's going to feel different because you're going to be excited to go back and to try it again. And, and you're going to be thinking about it when you're you know, in between things or when you're driving. And, and then you'll know, I think you found the thing. That is so true. Yeah. So Sandy, I want to give you a chance to share where people can find Rise Up because I know there's going to be people who are listening who do want to plug in. So how do they find Rise Up? Social media, website, any way that they can get in touch would be great. Yeah, so we have a website, um, just riseupcooperative.org. We have uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, YouTube. I think that's it that we're active on. But all of those ways, anytime anybody messages, emails on any of those platforms, again, it comes to me. So I reach out and I respond and to every email. It might be a day or two, but I respond to every email. Um, people can use the phone number that's on our website to call or text me. So I, I try to be as open to communication as possible because I know that there are so many times that people want to help and get involved and they don't know how. And so I want to be there and open because mm -hmm. I know that there are times that I've wanted to volunteer somewhere and you reach out and you don't ever hear back. And then you just kind of give up and you maybe mm -hmm. go somewhere else. Well, I don't want them to go just somewhere else. I would love for them to work with us. And so I try to be as open to that as I possibly can be. I love that. So if you're listening and you want to get involved with Rise Up, you want to find a way to plug in, I will link to all of the different things that Sandy just mentioned in the show notes. And I will also have the email um, where you can actually email Sandy and talk about volunteer opportunities and how you can specifically get plugged in. So all of that will be in the show notes. Um, Sandy, is there anything that we haven't gotten a chance to cover today that you'd like to share before we wrap up? I don't think so, but to maybe follow us on those social media platforms that I mentioned, because um, I mentioned yes. earlier that we're constantly trying to do more and help more. And we just this year started doing a girls leadership summit and we had over 175 girls and we had adult sessions available where 30 plus adults wow. came. It's like, we're going to do stuff like that. And we're going to do that yearly, the teen advisory board I mentioned. So there are lots of ways that we're trying to impact the community and make collaborations and partnerships within the community. So following us on those social medias will help keep people informed and help give them more opportunities or awareness to other ways they can plug in and help. Perfect. I think that's great advice. And so I hope everyone listening will click the links and follow. Sandy, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story. I, I think it's a fascinating story and it's awesome to see the success that you've had so far. And I can't wait to see how you all continue to impact the Chattanooga community. You're doing great work. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us again, Brett. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to share the story. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, we'll talk soon.
And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sandy and left inspired by the great work that she is doing in Chattanooga and that everyone over at Rise Up is doing in Chattanooga. If you are inspired by that work and you are local to the Chattanooga area, remember they are looking for volunteers for all sorts of things, everything from workshop leaders to blog writers, to fundraising, to admin help, to grant writing, monthly donors, all of those things are ways that you could have a great impact in the Chattanooga community if you're there. And also don't forget if you happen to listen to this on the day it releases or the day after that there is a trivia night coming up on April 29th at 6 p.m. at Finley Stadium. So if you can go Sandy, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing all of your wisdom and all the things that you've learned over the past couple of years. You are an inspiration. I also want to take a moment and thank you, the listener, for being here today and for listening to this episode of The Impact Code. If you did enjoy the episode, please don't hesitate to give us a review. Even hitting that little five-star button doesn't take very long, but it makes such a difference for other people being able to find our show and to being able to spread our message and inspire even more people. One final thank you to Tower Community Bank for sponsoring this podcast, for creating this podcast, and for helping us keep it going. If you are enjoying the show, please don't forget to head over to towercommunitybank.com for all your banking needs. And if you want to bank on the go, we have an option for that too. You can go to virtual.towercommunitybank.com. I hope that you stay well, and we'll see you back here next episode of The Impact Code. Bye.